0: I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily ProfCast.
1: We're two long distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Daily ProfCast.
0: We're having a bit of a breakfast episode today, but we're very excited because today is our Goblet of Fire film episode where we are going to recast the characters that we meet for the first time in Goblet of Fire as if there was going to be a 2021 remake of the film.
1: Yeah. It's going to be, these are some of my favorite episodes that we do. And then we always put a poll on Instagram and we let people kind of weigh in with us and it's fun. It's like a little bit of friendly competition. Aaron's currently leading me 12 to eight. We have one tied option. So, but we have a lot today. So there's a lot oh, to you,
0: you. We've got a little spreadsheet. You put in the winners. Good job.
1: Yeah. I marked so we're going to have a spreadsheet linked in our show notes. It's going to be view only for you guys. We can edit it, but you guys can go there and look and see historically who we've picked. And then I think once we finish all the books, it'll be fun to do like a final roundup on Instagram of like with each of our winners, what the full ensemble cast would be. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. I'm just looking at this awesome spreadsheet. McKenna, you're so good at spreadsheets. Oh, we've got Dan Stevens and James McAvoy tied for room.
1: Yeah, that's the only tie we have.
0: I like that for us. There was like
1: one where I think I took the whole and then the other ones you dominated. Maybe Chamber of Secrets I, or uh, Sorcerer's Stone. I took more. Anyway, I don't know. It's 12 to 8 right now. I love a little bit of friendly competition. It's my Enneagram one.
0: We've done with these episodes. And also before that... Also exciting, McKenna gives all these awesome movie facts about like production and stuff. I'm going to start calling this segment McKenna's Movie Facts because you've got the alliteration with your name. So that's what we're going to get started with now. Over the course of the last week, we both rewatched the film just so it's fresh in our minds. And here we go. Goblet of Fire film episode.
1: Yeah. So it took me basically three days to rewatch this. Because it's such a long film, it has a Pretty running long. time of one hundred fifty eight minutes. It's just it, that's quite long. Um, is over... this the longest running film out of no, the eight? I, yeah, I think it is. And then I think probably seven point two is the next running along. Yeah. So this movie was released in two thousand five. It was released November sixth in the UK and then on the eighteenth in the US. Kind How of old were s- you in two thousand five? Ooh, ten. T- Me too. Yeah. Well, we were the same age. Yeah, ten. I think I, I went to see this in theaters. I saw this in theaters as well. Yeah. From Prisoner of Azkaban, Ascom- no, from Chamber of Secrets on. I saw every one of them opening weekend. Oh wow, that is you. That is dedication. Yeah, dedicated and I, fan right here. And I don't remember what book it was. It might have been. What year was the Goblet of Fire book released?
0: Oh, it had to have been like 2002. We talked about it when we first started Let me it, look it,
1: it must have been either the Goblet of Fire book or the Phoenix book but from then on I went to every book premiere at Barnes and Nobles because they always used to have the party and like if you dressed up you got like entered in like fan raffles and stuff and that is so fun yeah so I, I always did those things like from the time I was a kid major nerd. oh wow the
0: book was published in the UK in both countries the release date was the UK and the United States the release date was July eighth two thousand. Oh wow! That was she wrote four books in three years. Incredible. That's pretty prolific. That's pretty it is cool. very
1: prolific. Yeah. So yeah. So I remember going to the movies to see this. I remember like they always came out in the fall, which was nice because you had like some post Halloween like early fall atmosphere vibes oh and on a personal note I bought used yesterday at GameStop the complete collection of Harry Potter like wow yeah so we're on Sorcerer's Stone right now but it's my husband and I's new game we're gonna play together every day Um, That is awesome it's our date game now so Le- <laughs> i'll keep you updated lego it's- harry potter is a great game i've only ever played lego star wars and so now that i'm Which on like it? it is elite aaron and i used to play it all the time yeah. when you would go to the cantina and you could like shoot it <laughs> anyway so so yeah 2005 in november this movie was this is the only movie that's directed by mike newell yes who is the director of four weddings and a funeral dance with the stranger those movies are familiar to anyone And so Alfonso Cuaron he directed Prisoner of Azkaban they had asked him to direct the next movie but it was he was like so busy with Prisoner of Azkaban he didn't think he was going to be able to like do them both. Yeah the production Um, turnaround was like what like very quick. They were almost filming.
0: They uh, Weren't they almost like filming the beginning of Goblet of Fire as they were filming the end? Um, yeah. Not that film productions do film things in order oftentimes they really don't but they were starting production
1: and they were like wrapping up edits and things like that you know well into I think his production had already started for Goblet of Fire so he had his hands really busy with that and we know from our last movie episode he had a lot of um, artistic vision for that movie and he was like very involved in sort of the intricate details so he didn't feel like he could also do Goblet of Fire he did, uh, you know, kind of speak to Mike Newell and he reportedly told him to take a more dark, serious approach to Gobble of Fire because the subject matter does really, you know, kind of continue from Prisoner of Azkaban as like dark subject matter, if not get even a little <laughs> bit more mature um, and serious in nature. And Mike Newell decided that he wanted to make Gobble of Fire more of a comedy movie. And he likened it to a Bollywood production. And that was the style Ooh. in which he wanted to go for was Bollywood. And so when they do Fantastic Beasts, which like will get there eventually, they wanted to model Fantastic Beasts off of Goblet of Fire and continue the sort of comedic Bollywood style. Where is the Bollywood? Can somebody who is very well versed in
0: Bollywood like show us where the Bollywood style is coming through? Other what than I, the Patil twins, not book accurate Yule no, ball what,
1: outfits? Like- what I read that it means is more and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, truthfully, I don't think I've ever watched a Bollywood movie. Not that I'm not. I'm just not uh, an expert in it. The closest to Bollywood I've ever gotten is the third Cheetah Girls when they go to India and are part of the Bollywood (laughs) production. I I can be honest about that. You should watch a Bollywood film. They're really excellent. But I think what I was reading was that it it was taking like a very serious subject matter that is sort of like dark and difficult in ways to process and putting like a comedic twist on it. And making it sort of lighthearted with jokes and, like, trying to lighten the mood. Obviously, Bollywood, I think, most of the time incorporates the song and dance aspect into that. Well, and you've got a little bit of that, like, with
0: the Yule Ball. But can you imagine if they turned it into, like, a musical number? Oh, my gosh. Like, where they start
1: singing? Oh, my gosh. And apparently, Alfonso Cuaron was like, no, please don't do that. Like, he was like, why don't you watch the first 40 minutes that's complete of our movie? And... You'll see the tone that we're going for in Prisoner of Azkaban, and maybe that will like give you some artistic inspiration and direction, so that we, so that it doesn't feel disjointed in the series, which it almost kind of does feel disjointed in, in the most subtle ways. Like it would be really fun to have like maybe Austin on one day to kind of talk about like differences he notices in the films from like a film person's perspective but not something I would have noticed if I wasn't looking for it necessarily but yeah it it does feel kind of disjointed and and Mike Newell said no I don't want to watch the first 40 minutes of Prisoner of Azkaban like I'm just gonna make my movie the way I want to make it so um, I heard
0: a rumor that Mike Newell like either like had not read the books or didn't like them at all and was just like I'm just gonna do my own thing
1: And what's interesting about it is that he didn't really make a lot of money. So for um, context, Christopher Columbus made $10 million as the director of Sorcerer's Stone. Mike Newell only negotiated a contract for a million dollars to direct this movie. So he needs better agents. And for somebody who was like so adamant to do things his own way, he wasn't like really even being paid to kind of do that and have that sort of. Wow. um, I wonder,
0: that's crazy because I wonder, I mean, it's such a big production. I wonder if they just, I don't know, like my first thought was, did they have to dedicate a lot of money to other things other than the director? But that would make me think that you would want to pay your director more for the scale of the production.
1: Right. Yeah, no, because it's obviously a much bigger movie in so many aspects than Sorcerer's Stone. Other than Um, the fact
0: that Sorcerer's Stone was so novel because it was the first one.
1: Right. But at this point, like we know that the movies are making more and more money, like the, the trend of how much money they're making is going up. It's not going down. So you would think that the directors and I think by the time we get to the end with David Yates, we can look at some of the salaries he was paid for those movies. And I'm sure they're going to blow us away in terms of what the other directors were paid. Yeah. Alfonso Cuaron did convince Mike Newell to make it into a one part movie as opposed to the studio originally wanted to do a part one and a part two i'm really glad
0: they didn't so early in the
1: series right so early in the series i'm glad they didn't there was kind of enough there was just enough movies as it, it was but you know what fans really had to say so critically this movie was acclaimed it hit really well with critics it didn't hit as well with fans who were frustrated that he took a lot of liberties and what to take out. So we Mm -hmm. don't get anything about spew Winky and Dobby are not even in the films, except for they are hidden in the background of the the triwizard tournaments Ah. where they're riding llamas. Um, which is Very cute. Like Ludo Bagman isn't even mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's so much shortening of things. Like it's a very, different movie than the book, though the premise is still there. And then the other thing that fans were really upset about was that they gave away the mystery in the first scene, essentially, when you see Barty, you see David Tennant as Barty Crouch Jr. in the very first scene speaking to Voldemort. And then you see somebody putting the dark mark into the sky at the Quidditch World Cup, and it's those things are things that we're supposed to get later <laughs> in the yeah because
0: uh, that right because by the time of the trial scene when we see Barty Kraut... or well it's not even we see him go on trial it's Igor Karkaroff this is super different and we discuss this in our book episode but super different in the film are the is the trial scene of Igor Karkaroff as opposed to in the book there are like several trial scenes we watch. But, you know, by the time you get to that scene and he names Barty Crouch Jr. And he's like running out of that. You're already like, I know who the bad guy is. Like I saw him put the dark mark.
1: And what's really great stylistically about the book is that it is a mystery novel. It's one of the only ones where it's like it is a big sort of a self-contained mystery novel, which is really exciting. Because, of course, the book has these like themes where we're trying to figure things out. We're trying to piece together the Voldemort Harry puzzle. But this is such a unique little nugget of a mystery and it reads yeah. really fun it's almost like watching clue with Tim Curry. yes like you get that sort of excitement from it and you don't really get that in the movie which is a shame because if he wanted to do something funny and comedic he almost could have modeled it kind of after clue in that sort of chaotic mystery or like knives out almost just very yeah. but he didn't do anything like that and he kind of gave it away from the jump so and like
0: do I like that David Tennant got more screen time? Yes. But now that I'm thinking about it, that's, I had never thought about that. That's a really good point. It totally gives away the mystery. The only nugget of mystery we have left is the reveal of Mad-Eye not being Mad-Eye at the end. But that even, they even gave that away in the scene after the second task.
1: When Mad-Eye
0: is talking to Harry and Barty Crouch Sr. walks up and then we see the tongue flick.
1: Right, exactly. So it, and I get maybe they were doing it for people who are not book fan. Um. To like
0: be able to track it.
1: Still, like, I think even somebody who hadn't read the books would have gotten more enjoyment out of, like, a big reveal at the end than they would have basically just being told what the plot of the movie was from the start. So yeah. that's sort of, I think, where fans were disappointed. The budget for the film was $150 million. Any guesses on what it made?
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't even have a scale.
1: $896.5 million. Wow. Wow.
0: So that was a good investment.
1: Great investment. Yeah, And they only had to pay Mike Newell $1 million. So (laughs) 150.
0: Maybe this is a maybe this is a like, budgeting thing from being, you know, we're a little bit farther in the future. There's been a little inflation. But 150 million from having like talked to my filmmaker boyfriend. That's not by today's standards you can spend that really easily on a feature film that is not even close to the scale that Goblet of Fire was.
1: Well, you know, obviously CGI is a lot better now, set design, production, et cetera. But I think at the time that was a lot of money. Yeah. But yeah, it, it certainly, it made enough. And, and that was just in box office. That doesn't count the merchandising, like Loyal- or consumer royalties. sales that it yeah. makes later for DVDs because we were still buying DVDs at the time. Like, remember back in the early 2000s it was a big deal what a movie did in the box office but then almost secondarily we also looked at what a movie did for dvd sales um, and that was sort of how you got a later indication of success of a film so you
0: you kids don't know how good you have it with you know immediate instant gratification streaming like 2 weeks after a movie's done at the theater we used to have to wait months after a movie came out of the theater for it to come out on dvd yes it took so long to do the distribution
1: they would have to like remaster everything for the dvd to fit on your small tv at home and then have to package it like get the supply chain to get it to you there would probably be like an additional release like I remember it was such a big deal to be able to go to Target to like pick up the newest Harry Potter movie when it had finally released same thing with Star Wars like with the older well the prequels yeah the prequels thank you yeah big deal to get it on DVD later and like you would want to convince your mom to get the deluxe content yeah just so
0: you get the the behind the scenes and the deleted scenes right
1: so so 896.5 just for the box office that's a it's a really good chunk of change this is the first film of the series that was bumped to a PG-13 rating. I think all of them going forward are going to have that rating, if I'm correct in my memory. I think so. But that just reflects the you know maturity level that this kind of bumps up to. It was nominated for an Academy Award in art direction. It did not win that. These movies don't do very well at the Academy Awards overall. But it did win a BAFTA for Best Production Design. Some critics have reviewed it as... To say it's one of the best in the series. It has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and a weighted Metacritic score of 80. So some not like release facts that I have, and I have quite a lot because this is a really interesting production and just kind of a lot of funny things happen, but Warner Brothers approached Canadian music group Weird Sisters to use the Weird Sisters as the name for the Yule Ball band. They never reached an agreement. And then the Weird Sisters turned around and sued them for, I think, $40 million. And they sued the members of the on-screen band in the film, people from... Whoa! That's
0: a lot. Yeah, so J.K. Rowling, I'm sorry, the author wrote her band to be named the Weird Sisters. I don't know if she already knew, There was a band named the weird sisters but whatever she was negligent to the fact that that would lead to legal action and yeah the weird sisters the actual band the weird sisters sued but i did not know they sued the band members of the aunt
1: that's great what why is that their fault they named the band in the film and what's interesting is the warner brothers actually did their due diligence like they went to the weird sisters first spelled different by the way and said like you know we want to use the name they couldn't come up with an agreement and then I guess they used it thinking it wasn't going to like have any copyright issues, but anyway, anywhere where it says Weird Sisters was then taken out of the film. Yeah. And they kind of they introduce them as like the band in a deleted scene. They're introduced as the band that needs no introduction. So they never actually say the Weird Sisters. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that there's members of Radiohead like in the Yule Ball Band, which I think is really cool as a Radiohead fan. So the biggest thing about this movie was really the underwater scenes. That probably took a lot of the budget and a lot of time to film. It was a 500,000 liter tank with a blue screen backdrop that they used to film the scenes. Daniel Radcliffe alone logged nearly 45 minutes underwater for filming. He had two ear infections during the time, like underwater so much. And at one point he, he signal, like he gave whatever their crew signal was for drowning. And there was a big production like hubbub and they all went in and like had like rescue people rescue him out of the water, but he was fine. Um, And he like mistakenly gave the signal and kind of cute is to honor their time in the large water tank at the end of production the cast and crew posed for an underwater christmas photo (laughs) together that they sent out as their christmas card and they like photoshopped rudolph noses and antlers on every member of the casting that is so cute so i think that was very cute we only see harry dancing at the yule ball from the waist up because he only had three days to learn the dances whereas all the other students had three weeks but because he had to be in nearly every scene he didn't have the time to spend with a choreographer and so his feet were fumbling the entire time and they couldn't use yeah, it we
0: get one little clip of him and Parvati dancing but it's like kind of it's a wider shot. It's a little farther away, and you know his feet are just slick.
1: like messed up. It's like they kind <laughs> of did it on purpose, but yeah, they couldn't use any of the other scenes of him. You dancing know what? It was I so think bad. it's in character. It's okay. In the theme of reduce, reuse, recycle, the crew repurposed the basilisk puppet from Chamber of Secrets, and they used it for the scene where Hagrid shows Harry the dragons in the cages. Oh. And they were able to construct out of the basilisk a full size dragon that could blow fire. Whoa. Cool. Yep. The books in Dumbledore's office are actually phone books that the crew individually (laughs) painted. Um, Props. People on films are incredible. They're the
0: real wizards.
1: And we noticed that we're missing our least favorite family, the Dursleys, because the three actors tried to negotiate more money for themselves. And the studio said, well, we don't really need you in the movie for that price. Oh, man. So those are my fun facts. Those are great fun facts. Thank you. McKenna's movie
0: facts, everybody. Do we want to briefly touch on some of the deleted scenes? Oh,
1: one more. (laughs) Give me the fun fact. So something that was really popular in this like 2004, 2005 time was from the show Desperate Housewives that ran on ABC. Most of our listeners will probably be too young to have remembered that show. But it had a lot of teenagers in it. And they came up with this like new technology to blur out the pimples on the kids in that show. And so the studio planned to use that same technology and they invested in it. And when they went to go blur all the acne from these kids who, you know, were Our rapidly kids. maturing and going through puberty, it didn't work. So um, in a lot of places, like you kind of see more lifelike skin than you would expect because they just forewent the blurring effect because it just looked terrible. I prefer um, that. Post-production. Yeah, I do I too. That. It
0: normalizes It makes it more
1: realistic. Yeah, it
0: normalizes having acne. And, like, now when you see... I don't know if you've ever, like, watched... This is off-topic. But, like, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where in some shots they're, like... Like, their skin looks really, like, good. And there are, you know, some quick shots where they don't use that. And it's, like, more textured. And it's, like, that's
1: what people really look like. Like, put that on screen. It's camera's high definition. But, like, you know, anyway. And something I love, especially as a woman and then as a young woman watching the series is I feel like Hermione is like such a great role model for young girls because she, she goes through her awkward phase, you know, and there's so much more to her than just being beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. and we kind of see her in like very realistic stages of life. So like yeah. I do like that they kind of didn't. There
0: was, I was thinking about this the other day. There is a notable sort of difference in how sort of attractive they're trying to make Hermione like like conventionally attractive starting in movie 3 like her hair's a little bit more tamed and we know that in this book she like she, you know she starts using Easy's hair potion and she like gets her teeth reduced a little bit but like just how they're sort of try- how attractively they're sort of trying to market Emma Watson change starts changing like we don't see that bushy hair that's like supposed to be Hermione's like physical trait that sort of
1: everyone recognizes her from and well I um, think there's something to be said that realistically this is probably the age where a lot of young women start taking a more vested interest in how they yeah, look that's fair you know and caring about personal maintenance a little more and then I'm sure for Emma Watson herself she probably was like and Emma Watson's beautiful oh, she's yeah, gorgeous. beautiful and she's
0: and she's got a beautiful soul she yeah she's not somebody who she doesn't I mean, I've never met Emma Watson, so this is all speculation, but on the whole like Emma Watson really comes off as somebody who's not very like she's got a lot of substance to her. She's not shallow. She cares about education and like she cares about other women, like, you know, yeah. so yeah. We love it. We love Emma Watson here.
1: Yeah, and and I read that the it was hard in some aspects of editing this movie because when they started the kids kind of looked more like kids. And by the time they finished, they oh looked gosh. a little bit more like teenagers.
0: You know what? I think I I would have liked to have been able to track that. But it's the problem is you don't film a movie in order. Right. So in some scenes, they're going to look. If you had been able to film it in order, I think that would have been really cool. Because that's such a theme of this book is like how rapidly, especially Harry, has to age by the end of the book. Yeah. How no. quickly they have to grow up in this one in particular.
1: I agree. Anyway, that's officially a wrap on McKenna's movie Marvelous Facts.
0: Thank you for McKenna's Marvelous Movie Facts.
1: There are a couple deleted scenes in this film. If you watch the
0: extended versions, you will not think that they're deleted scenes because they're just a part of the film. But for those who don't watch the extended versions, there are just a couple. First one is, you know, Bobatons comes in and does their little demonstration In the Great Hall, they're like dancing, and Fleur's little sister's doing gymnastics, and then Dermstrang comes in and they're flipping and then hitting. Actually, I saw a TikTok, and when I rewatched the scene, I was laughing my butt off. When Dermstrang comes in, most of them are like doing flips and like acrobatics and stuff, or break dancing or whatever, and one guy (laughs) in the corner literally just jumps up. into Somebody pointed it out on TikTok and now I can never unsee it. He's in the left corner of the screen wa- and it's when the camera is facing the teacher's table, not when it's facing them coming into the hall. Go back and rewatch it because it's so funny. You don't really notice it until somebody points it out. Anyway. So there are those two demonstrations and then we don't see Hogwarts like do anything but in the deleted scenes they sing the school song so we get the Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Warty, Hogwarts, t- teach us something please like it's awesome and the Slytherins are like rolling their eyes and the the Bobatons and Durmstrang students are like ew like we just did gymnastics there's another deleted scene it's very short it's like right before in the movie they ended up cutting to where like Ron and Harry are walking around where a group of Durmstrang students walk up to a group of Hogwarts girls and like ask them out to the Yule Ball when they like bow in unison and the girls are like Tantalized, and then what's the other really notable one is in the deleted scenes we actually get to listen to snape and Karkarov having their conversation outside at the yule ball that that harry and ron stumble across in the film it's just harry but they're speaking about you know Karkarov is in that moment where he's like i'm thinking of fleeing because he feels what's going on with his dark mark so funny um, i must
1: always just watch the extended version because you're saying these and i'm like i didn't know that was a deleted scene exer- I that every time it's
0: the extended versions these are just part of the film and they're really great i'm glad they were included in the extended versions but yes oh the aftermath of crouch's death is another deleted scene and yes i think that's it incredible yeah so where does this movie rank for you oh man this is one I end up rewatching quite often. Me. Yes. This is, you know, number 3 will always be my most favorite in my heart, but this is I watch this one so much. I might put it at like like 3 or
1: 4. It's a great standalone within the yes. series. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a really good. And you know, what I realized in rewatching it after having reread the book is that the Book is not as great as a standalone because there is a lot of stuff in this book that's going to be really important in future books but because they cut so many things right and because they cut so many things out of the movie there is not as much in the movie that is going to be as important for future movies so I wonder if
0: that's just a function of Mike Newell like not really reading the series that's the rumor I don't know if that's true I can't confirm that but
1: based on what I read I would have to speculate that's probably it because they're rereading i was like wow this is important especially just like taking out all of the priori and condemned stuff like that mm-hmm. is so important <laughs> like yeah. we need to know that we yeah. and we don't get there's like a mention
0: of it but there's no explanation
1: right we don't yeah. see the same obviously conver- very long conversation dumbledore has with sirius and harry after the I wish they had put serious in that so anyway so pretty I would also rank it high because I watch it as a standalone a lot it's like
0: like I almost want to give it number two because I think it's probably the one I watch the second most because it's also so often on tv like USA or you know
1: ABC Family I'm sorry
0: Freeform Freeform or Peacock (laughs) or whatever they're like they put that one on all the time so I almost want to rank like it number two, but I can't because of Order of the Phoenix. That one,
1: I want to say three or four. That one and Sorcerer's Stone are like always on. I don't see Sorcerer's Stone on as often. Oh, around Christmas time. I, I oh, see it that, yes. I all the time. Yeah, on, around Christmas for sure. Yeah, I would say maybe this is like four. Even though it's one I watch a lot, it's probably like more four or five for me. I think I watch 7.2 the most. 7.2 is also
0: on TV very often they- it just gives the, me so much feels. It's like... Yeah, it's so good. Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah, Shall we
0: get to casting? Yeah. Okay, so this is... We love doing this, you guys. And we love hearing your input on this as well. So
1: let me just give you a run. Should I... Do you want to run... Should I give a, I, or just I think go we just one hop by one? into it, yeah. Okay. Most notable is we're going to cast people from the book that we didn't necessarily see in the movie. Because, because- in McKenna and Aaron's hypothetical movie version
0: no characters get left behind.
1: Right. And we're thinking more long form like HBO TV show, not a 158 minute movie. So God of Fire could have many episodes which would leave room for many characters. Almost yes. like a Game of Thrones format.
0: Yes yes exactly and there are a ton of new characters in this one
1: right i will say so we we did agree to cast like bill charlie fleur cedric and crumb because we I meet don't... them
0: when where they're when they're 17
1: i don't know any 17 year old actors truly so a lot of those people i picked are older but yeah, i think have potential to look young especially yeah, with some same. movie magic
0: like mid-20s well, actually, my Cedric is like I think he's like thirty, but he I think he could pull it off anyway.
1: Like my Bill and my Charlie are definitely older, but I think they could be.
0: Yeah, but as long as they're out of down. school age,
1: yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: it's fine. Yeah, and we're we also really strive. If you've heard us talk about the Marauders, <laughs> particularly me talk about the Marauders all the time and how I really wish they'd gone for age accuracy, although I understand that it was because they cast Alan Rickman, and I don't want to lose Alan Rickman, but we strive for age accuracy we try where we can we We also strive to actually honor the author's original wishes and keep the british actors british or from the british isles
1: yeah i will say that I or the
0: commonwealth rather
1: i went rather to i went to the commonwealth definitely (laughs) yeah i've
0: got a new zealand person on here so
1: (laughs) i bet we do i bet we might okay so should we hop in with bill weasley Yeah, so we,
0: in the film, we don't meet, in the films, we don't meet Bill Weasley until, I guess... Seven. No, we meet meet him in five for the advanced guard. No, I guess we don't. No, we
1: meet him in seven. No, yeah, he's not in
0: the advanced guard. No, I'm thinking Tonks. No, yeah, Bill, we meet Bill in seven, but in the books, we get introduced to him physically in... Goblet of Fire. So we cast Bill Weasley and we cast Charlie Weasley as well because we see them in these opening scenes where Harry's going to Weasley's house before the cut. Yeah,
1: Charlie Weasley we never see in the films except for in the photograph of them in Egypt. Yes, and you're like, who is that person? <laughs> yep. And it's a credited actor in the movie, which is funny. So who do you have as your Bill Weasley? I picked Jeremy Irvine. Jeremy
0: Irvine is a, is a so remember, Bill Weasley is like maybe seven or eight years under the Marauders. Like he started school right when the Marauders left school. So he's quite a bit older. He's, I mean, he's the oldest Weasley child. So he's like mid to later twenties. Somebody correct me on that. If I got that incorrect, I need to go back and look at Bill's birth year, but oh no, he might've been born in six seventy one when the Marauders started school anyway. I pick yeah Jeremy Irvine he's he you might recognize him from the movie War Horse he was sort of the main boy in War Horse he's not actually like a red-headed person but he is on the fair side like darker blonde hair that I think could be for you know movie purposes made to be red or ginger and like give him some freckles I think he would just look really cool with like long red hair and a a fang earring i think he would look great and he's he's a good actor i think he did a really good job in warhorse he's playing somebody a little bit more adolescent in that movie but i don't know he gave me bill bill weasley vibes that's my bill jeremy irvine who
1: did you pick i picked aaron taylor johnson oh no i was thinking of putting him in this casting i just didn't know where okay so what i best know him from is pietro uh, maximoff in the marvel franchise but he's a actor who's like been around a lot so he's particularly
0: been around in the harry potter fandom he is like aaron taylor johnson is like the main tumblr 2012 casting for james potter really yes. well, i don't think
1: i'm not like i don't think i've crossed because over and that. It was
0: because i mean you know ben barnes was the casting because people saw him in dorian gray and went that looks like Sirius black and then aaron taylor johnson was in i believe the movie's called nowhere boy and it's a movie about john lennon and he i think plays a young john lennon i could be wrong on that i actually haven't seen it this is just what i've heard from like secondhand from fandom but he looks he's got a very james potter private school look in that movie and people were like oh my gosh james potter and so now he's like i mean he like he's 30 now he's like I think Bill Weasley is older than the than James Potter ever got to be. Right. So so it totally works. That's awesome. He's definitely
1: older, but he looks um, he has like I think a young look, and he's a little rugged. And since Bill's described as being so cool, I wanted like cool boy for this. Um, I think he'd be cute as like a dark redheadish, like long hair. I don't know. I got good vibes, and so. I think we've said this on this podcast before, but fun
0: fact the actor who plays Bill Weasley in the original, Dom Hall Gleason.
1: Gleason. Also, is, General Hux in Star Wars.
0: Yes, also General Hux in Star Wars is Brendan Gleason's son, and Brendan Gleeson plays Mad Eye Moody. Right. So, a little bit of a family affair in this movie, which is fun. Anyway, that's great. I love that. Okay. Do you tra- want to tell us your Charlie?
1: Do we yes. have the same Charlie? I don't, I don't think so. And no, Never mind. Then we don't. I picked Charlie Palmer Rothwell who was in the movie Dunkirk and. I'm looking. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great. Yeah. He looks good.
0: I could and see him playing Charlie.
1: Yeah. He's very like chiseled looking. I don't know. I see like, him looks as looks like, like, like he
0: works with dragons. Yeah.
1: He looks like he works with dragons and he's actually a natural redhead. So. There you go. I, okay. I need Charlie. to give it.
0: I need to give a shout out before I announce my Charlie because I was with some friends last night. Now that everyone's like getting their vaccine, it's so nice to just like be able to go over to a friend's house and have like wine and cheese and hang out. So I was hanging out with my boyfriend Austin and then my two friends Marley and Scott who both went to college with us. And I need to give them a shout out because they helped me with a lot of this casting. I sort of presented my list to them and they were like, oh, what about this person we edited together. Mike helped me a little bit
1: as well. Yeah. We we were going through this morning.
0: Thank you, Michael. Yeah. So this is a pick for my friend Marley. I was like, I don't really know anybody in the age group who's like redheaded who could play Charlie. I did not watch Riverdale, but I sort of can recognize the cast. And my friend was like, what about KJ Apa, who plays, oh, I forget the name of his character, but he's the redheaded, redheaded guy in Riverdale and he's from New Zealand so Commonwealth, like, I'll take it. And he's just he I've seen him in other things where he I thought he did a good job. I can't remember them off the top of my head. But yeah, that's my Charlie pick KJ Apa. Yeah, I know. he looks like he's got a very sweet, like happy face. And he strikes me as somebody who if I watched him nerd out about dragons on screen, I'd be like,
1: Aww. Oh, yeah, I like that. It's a good one. What about Ludo Bagman? One of my favorite characters <laughs> that got taken out.
0: Yeah, so we don't see Ludo Bagman in the original film. This is a really funny choice. I'm like laughing at myself as I'm about to
1: say this. I picked James Corden. That's good. I really, Um, so when I was weighing my options for this, I was like, after I'd already picked my person who I feel really strongly about, I was like, oh, but James Corden could be really good in that role for like a comedic edge. (laughs)
0: Right, I think he'd be a perfect comedic relief. James Corden's hilarious. Yeah, I think he'd be funny. He's just, he's good at like slapsticky humor and just like kind of acting ridiculous. Like he's not afraid to just kind of be silly on screen. So yeah, James Corden. So this is have? where
1: my Kiwi comes into play and I picked Taika Waititi and I feel real strongly about it. Do you it. think,
0: do you, would you think putting him in like a, a suit to make him look like he weighed a little more? Because Ludo Bagman in the book is supposed to be kind of overweight. Yeah, Although like, James Corden, I think recently lost a bunch of weight too.
1: Yeah, I think bulking him up a little bit, like something of that sort. I also... That's hilarious. He played Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. And for that role, he was like a little bit more, I think, full. Oh, that's true. And I think that... He, I, I hate to say he was hilarious in that role, but he No, brought, okay. Uh, you have to see the movie to understand that it is... It's, it's, very, satir- it's yes. very
0: satirical, making fun of. I'm like... I had a lot of apprehension walking into that movie because I don't think joking about the Nazi regime or like by extension, definitely the Holocaust is kosher. I don't think, I don't think that's something we should joke about, but first of all, they didn't, I don't think in that movie they really touched on the Holocaust, which I thought was good and respectful, but it's totally making fun of, Like the Third Reich and the Nazi. And and I think they did it very
1: tastefully. I thought that was a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. And he's directed a lot of great movies. He directed Thor Ragnarok. And he also played the stone guy. Yeah, Korg. Korg. (laughs) My name's Korg. It's like a freaky circle. Also, we should mention, you know, we said he played
0: Hitler. He doesn't actually play Hitler. He plays like this the little of the little boy's imagination who he like imagines hitler to be like this great he's like his imaginary friend which is a little bit it sounds bad just watch the movie it's they do a really good job
1: right because he was
0: he was like a hitler the youth. little
1: boy was hitler youth right and so when he's thinking about like how to be the best Hitler youth that he can be. He has his imaginary friend, which is this like warped version of Hitler. Who's like friendly and nice to him. Right. And it's sort of like throughout the movie, he becomes much more awake to reality, especially after what happens with his mother. And so Mm -hmm. anyway, if you haven't seen the movie, it's really good. But I hate to say like, it was a funny movie. And he played- Well, it's a satire. It's satirizing- but he oh, right. was really brilliant in both directing and starring in that movie. And I just think Taika Waititi, he's also, I always butcher the pronunciation. My friend Tim is going to listen to this and he's going to oh, he yeah. listen. Uh, Taika Waititi, I'm pretty sure he's Maori from New Zealand oh. as well. And so, I don't know. I like that aspect. He's just really brilliant and he brings so much to everything he does. And I can't wait till the new Thor movie is out because he's he directing that one. He's, and he makes the he's... Thor movies exponentially better.
0: I think he's fabulous and I love I would love to see he'd make Luda Bagman so funny
1: where I really was first introduced to Taika Waititi was in what we do in the shadows which is this satire about vampires like living in the flat together and it's so there's an fx show now but the original movie incredible it is so stupid funny and just so dry I don't know. I think the world of him, like, as a director, as an actor, and he was my natural choice.
0: He's so silly. I, like, I almost want to say he's, like, almost like Jeff Goldblum 2.0. Yes. Like, in how he sort of acts in his everyday life. Because
1: he has, like, a very dry, like, serious face about things sometimes. But he's so funny. and he's very like, silly. So brilliant. And I think if he could bring, like, an ounce of brilliance to what I think is a great character and just like really underrated character I don't don't know I think it'd be really brilliant that's what I really love that choice anyway Barty Crouch Sr who do you have
0: Barty Crouch Sr okay I sort of labored over over the pair Barty Crouch Sr and Barty Crouch Jr for a while and at the end I had to go with now this actor's a little bit older but I don't really mind that because I think you know just from Barty Crouch Sr's history what happened to him what happened to his family probably aged him a bit you know so i went with jeremy irons incredible english actor very prolific and just like all the films he's done what i know him from most recently now this is not a role that like really does him justice but what i know him from most recently is playing alfred in the new like batman justice league sort of series with ben affleck as batman which i still think is a hilarious choice but he plays alfred and that's what i recognize him from the quickest but he's done a ton of movies he's really great i he just was think in the he's gorgeous
1: got... which was a great yeah yeah
0: i think he's got this like really good and he's done like a ton of theater like he's an incredible actor i think
1: oh was he in Watchmen? yeah he was in Watchmen.
0: i don't i i haven't seen that in a very long time but he's got this like really good severe face he's really good at like playing serious sort of stick up their butt characters yeah i think he'd be really good that's my pick for brady crouch senior who do you have
1: okay i also picked somebody who is a little bit older but i think has aged exceptionally well i picked ben kingsley
0: I i saw ben kingsley in jfk one did you really i did my friend went up and asked him for a picture and he said no which is he's well within his right to do that but it was
1: just yeah we saw him in jfk he played Gandhi in the Gandhi movie. He was in Schindler's List, Shutter Island, Iron Man three, Operation Finale, which was a great movie on Netflix. If you've never seen it, it's great. Act- he was also a the bad actor. guy in The
0: Prince of Persia, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, he yep. is. He's English, but he's of Indian descent, and I really like him. I think he's so brilliant, and he sort of plays that like very serious guy very well. And so I should have had you do your Barty Crouch Jr. Because they kind of go along as a pair. But do want to, Okay, go ahead and say your Barty Crouch Jr. then. So I have Patel.
0: I love that.
1: And I see them as father or son. Like, I think that works well. Um, and I love Dev Patel. And I've been looking for the perfect place to put him. And so that is where I've landed with him.
0: That, Dev Patel would be really good. I love Dev Patel. He's, he's so happy, though.
1: Yeah, but he can play serious very yeah, well. Yeah, no, he, he was in Lion. That's probably like the most famous film he's been in. But he was also Dog Millionaire was a sort
0: of breakout role, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: He's really brilliant, just like a really great actor. And so I think they'd be a, a very good father-son duo.
0: I love that. Who's your Barty Crouch for Barty Crouch Junior? This is kind of a weird one. I went for. An actor named matthew beard i know him from the movie the imitation game he was sort of the young mathematician among the group of people working on the decoding enigma and sort of by default helping alan turing uh, who was i i've seen that movie a lot because benedict cumberbatch stars in it and i think he's really wonderful but yeah he's he he played the like young mathematician and he there's a moment where They crack the enigma code, the German enigma code, and they realize that the Germans are going to be attacking a passenger ship that the actors, uh, his name, what's his name in, his name is Peter Hilton in the movie. They realize they're going to be attacking a passenger ship that Peter's big brother is on. And they basically have to tell him like, he's like, let's go alert, you know, the Colonel or whatever. And they're like, we can't, we can't say anything. Otherwise, the Germans are going to know we cracked their code and basically they begin this long process of determining how many people they can save and how many people they have to like, like let the Germans attack in order for the Germans not to figure out that they cracked the code because otherwise they'll change it. But he, he gives this really beautiful performance of like trying to plead for his brother's life. And I I see that translating very well to a courtroom scene. And then he's he actually like when he's staring sort of straight face has this I think he could do a really good like severe sort of creepy like Barty Crouch Jr. super in love with the Dark Lord sort of vibe. So that's my pick,
1: Matthew Beard. Amazing. So for Cedric Diggory.
0: We picked we had decided early on that we were not going to cast any of the students because like they did in the films, we were sort of hoping that in our hypothetical 2021 remake, we could cast the students as children children children, and then right and grow up with them like we did with Emma Watson, Rupert Grant, Dana Radcliffe. But since we meet. Cedric, Fleur Delacour, and Victor Crumb at the age of at least 17, we figured we would cast them. Although our actors are a little bit older. So who did you pick for Cedric Degree?
1: So I wanted this person to be in my series, but I think he's better as a blip rather than a longstanding character. And so Mm -hmm. it felt right to put him as Cedric because of Cedric's untimely death. So I'm going with Harry Styles.
0: Oh, that's an interesting choice. He did, pre- I thought he did pretty well in Dunkirk. Like
1: I did too. So that's kind of what I'm basing his acting prowess on. I thought he did really well in Dunkirk. And again, we, we don't have to become attached to him. So he has to perform well for like, you know, a very short amount of time. So I don't need somebody with incredible acting chops.
0: Yeah, that's true. And he's, you know, he's he would be good as like... Handsome jock. The handsome shot Yeah, I like that. I like that casting. And that that draws Harry Styles fans to our hypothetical remake. Like we get all his Harry Styles fans to come and watch our movie, make big money at the box office. Yeah. I love- so my my Cedric is he's a, okay. He's a little older. He's 30. That's pretty old to be playing somebody who's 17. And I'm a hypocrite because I always say I'm like, I hate when they get like 30 year old actors to play like younger kids. I hate this. But I just love this actor. And I want him in here. And I think he'd be a lovely Cedric. I picked John Boyega, who played Finn in the most recent Star Wars trilogy. I think he'd be a wonderful Cedric. I think he, like, I could, you know, watching if we got to have more content in, like, a long-form series. I think him, like, seeing him, like, help Harry and have this camaraderie with Harry would be very cool. Again, he's a little older, so that might present some, like issues for production, trying to make him look a little younger, but I just, I don't know, he gives me Cedric Degree vibes. I do recognize that casting a black actor in a role where the character gets killed at the end of the series, that could be kind of seen as kind of an issue. And I, that's not why I put a black actor in this part. I just, I think John Boyega would do a really good job with the character.
1: Yeah. I'd love to see him do some like serious acting. I've never seen him outside of Star Wars.
0: Well, I mean, there are moments in Star Wars where it's very serious. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah.
1: I'd love to see no. him in more of a, like, well-rounded, not comedic part. Finn has a lot of comedic moments.
0: Yes. Yeah. He's often the comedic relief. Yeah. So that's my pick for Cedric. Amazing. So for Fleur, who do you have? So this is- And a- Victor. Like, why don't we just Fleur do it? Cr- yeah. Okay. So for Fleur and Victor, I originally set out to cast a French actress and a actor of Slavic descent. I ended up with two English actors. Because I just I'm not very well versed in young French actresses or young Slavic actors. So if you have critiques for me about that's fine. But for Fleur Delacour, I picked Anya Taylor Joy. Oh, who who is Yeah, I just love her. I think she was was British. Yeah she's English and she you would recognize Anya Taylor-Joy as the leading lady in the Queen's Gambit and the most recent iteration of Jane Austen's Emma. She has those eyes. She's a phenomenal actress. I think she's got Vila like energy. Yep. And knowing that we see Fleur later in the books and like continue to see her because Anya Taylor-Joy is like a like not an actress that you want to put in a role that you see once and then like you never see them again. Yeah, not like um, Harry Styles. So we see Fleur later and I think like a, she could be a Floor with like a lot of substance and joie de vivre. And I'm sorry, I butchered that. But but yeah, that's my Floor. I think she'd be lovely. And then Crumb, this is kind of a weird choice. I picked Isaac Hempstead Wright, who was Bran Stark in Game of Thrones. He's very young. He's not, you know, when we see Stan Yanofsky. I- on screen as crumb in the original films he's very like built and he just he's i mean i think he was older than 18 at the time of the film i'm not sure on that actually so i shouldn't say that but he's very built like he doesn't look like an 18 year old isaac hempstead wright would like look like a young 18 year old Now he's not very, he's like, he's a little bit more on the lean side. So I don't know if that would, you know, in the book, it says Crumb's sort of like stocky. So that doesn't necessarily translate, but I just, I don't know. I think he's a great actor. He's facially, I think he's sort of got the look for Crumb and I don't know. I think he'd be fun. Those are my picks.
1: Who do you have? So I do have a French actress from the James Bond franchise, also older, but I picked Leah Seydoux. Just, like, mm-hmm. incredibly beautiful, but incredibly strong. Like, just, I, I don't know, has a lot of substance to her. I really like her. She was in multiple Bond movies. And then for Victor Crumb, I chose Alex Pettifer, Oh, yeah. He's very, he would look very athletic. Yeah, so you would know probably from Magic Mike or Endless Love. Was, um, he,
0: was he in that weird, like, Beauty and the Beast movie? Was that him?
1: No, I don't think that was him.
0: Oh, or was that one of the, anyway...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then we move on to the teachers. So do you want to do Madame Maxine and Igor Karkarov together? Yes, I do. So
0: this was, I'm going to say this and everyone's going to be like, that's a cop out. You pick that and that's a cop out. But this woman is an incredible actress. She's also very tall. And I think giving like a really cool, strong, tall lady, as a tall woman, I think giving a really cool, strong, tall lady, a tall lady role. So I'm picking Gwendolyn Christie who played Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones. And also who is the, who did she play in Star Wars? What's the name of her? Phasma. Yep. 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 Gwendolyn Christie. She's an awesome actress. She did amazing in Brienne of Tarth. I think she'd be a really fiery. Oh, she's
1: wonderful. Yeah. That's a good one. And who do you have for Igor Karkarov? Okay.
0: I'm very excited about this one. For Igor, Kark- for Igor Karkaroff, I would like to recast Stan Yanofsky, Oh. Who played Victor Crumb and give him a little more screen time and let him do Igor Karkaroff.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yep. I like that. Who do you have? So for Madame Maxine, I have a French actress, Isabelle Huppert, and she was in the movie Greta, if anyone ever saw that. She was terrifying in Greta, but really good movie. And I think she'd be a good Madame Maxine. And then for Igor Karkov, I'm really excited about this one. I have Mads Mikkelsen, who is a Danish actor who plays Le chief.
0: That's a good choice.
1: And because Dermstrang is, like, rumored to be, like, perhaps in Finland, like, in the Netherlands somewhere, I'm like, oh, having a Danish guy is, like, makes sense to me. And I just... Oh, he's so brilliant as Le really- He
0: plays... He also plays the villain in Doctor Strange. Yes. Whose name I'm forgetting. All I can think about is Dormammu, but that's, like, the planet eater dude.
1: So, I yeah, I feel really good about him. He's just... Like you know if you're a Bond fan then you know like Le Chiffre is like the ultimate villain and he does it so well but I, when I look at him like there's also something to him where I'm like oh you could be a guy who could abandon the cause to save your own back I see that for you too so yeah okay good. so I know you're probably the most excited about this one <laughs> mad I Moody
0: next we're gonna cast mad Moody do you want me to go first yeah, sure. Okay. So I originally had in here, I will share who I originally had. I originally had Robert Carlyle, who is a very famous Scottish actor. Most people would probably recognize him as, oh, who did he play in Once Upon a Time? Was it Beast or Rumpelstiltskin? Uh, he was oh. Rumplestiltskin. He was yeah. one of the bad guys in Once Upon a Time and he's he was also in Train Spotting, which is like a hallmark classic Scottish film. And he's just like the one who will get up and fight everybody. And he, he's got good mad eye energy, but he's not who I ended up with. Who I ended up with actually is another Scottish actor named Graham McTavish. Purely for just, I, I think he's a wonderful actor as well. And I think he's got the look. He was Dougal McKenzie in Outlander.
1: I was waiting for you to pick somebody from we we don't have any outlander actors this year. I yeah. I picked an outlander oh for this film. For this one because I feel like yeah. I always pick bond people and you always pick people from outlander. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this one, yeah, this
0: is my outlander out- actor pick. He's wonderful as Do- Dougal McKenzie, um very like loyal to the cause, makes rash decisions sometimes. He I don't think he His typical like speaking accent is very heavy Scottish. I think it's a, I think he was raised in Edinburgh. So I think it's a little bit more towards like an English accent, but he is of Scottish. He's like a Scottish actor. He was born in Scotland and he's, he can do a great like thick Highlander accent. And I think he's wonderful. I think he'd be really good. So that's my Mad-Eye Moody pick. Who do you have?
1: So just on the topic of, on the topic of Outlander, a thought I had while we were doing the casting is that Sam Hugan would have been a really good Charlie Weasley, like back in the day, if they had put him oh, in the movies. Oh
0: yeah, he would have. He's a little older now, but he'd be like an. He could. Yeah, he's. I love Sam Hugan. He's really excellent. I'm. Not, I'm going to have to find a place to put him.
1: So you have your Mad Eye Moody pick. Who is that? Sorry, I make it separate. okay. Okay. Yeah. So I also picked a Scottish actor. I picked Rory McCann, who you know is the hound from Game of Thrones. He'd be great. I think he'd be great too. Yeah.
0: He'd be great. You would have to hope that your Harry would start growing a little bit tall because he's very tall.
1: Yeah. There would be like a bit, he's definitely not as like I don't know. I think he'd be really interesting. And he's very like rough around the edges as the hound. And I think a lot of the same ways that mad Moody, just like has seen a lot of things, you know? And
0: Yeah. Like he could be a good, like, he could be a good, like, cuckoo, Mad-Eye I, Moody. I right.
1: Think. Exactly. Okay. I'm really excited about my Rita Skeeter. Who do you have? If you're excited, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. I have Naomi Harris, who's Money, Penny, and Bond. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. Wait, let me look at her picture on your spreadsheet. Oh, nice. Oh, she's, yeah, yeah, she'd be good. She, like, strikes me as, I don't know, I look at her and I'm like, you look like a nice human, so, like.
1: <laughs> I I just would love to see her as, like, the fast-talking, like, gossipy reporter. I don't know, I think she'd she's, be really good. No,
0: she's funny. She actually played, oh, what's her name? She played Victor Frankenstein's, like, be- betrothed in the National Theater production that happened in 2013. 20- 2014 2015 that had benedict cumberbatch and johnny lee what's his name switching roles i love that production if you haven't seen that play the national theaters frankenstein from 2014 go on youtube the whole thing's on youtube they put it up for the pandemic it's amazing and she played i'm forgetting her name the lee and she had some really comedic moments so i could see that actually who do you have i have so i have lucy punch lucy punch has played cinderella's evil stepsister twice once in ella enchanted and once in the latest into the woods film she, I didn't know would she make, was english yeah she would make a hilarious hilarious rita skeeter she's just like she's like goofy evil like you we would laugh at her but you would also like kind of hate her gut she's hilarious i think she'd be great
1: okay the last person we have. Did you do Frank Bryce, Bertha Jorkins,
0: and Amos Diggory? I did not. So I put as an option that we could cast Frank Bryce, Bertha
1: Jorkins, Amos Diggory. Did you cast them? I did. Give us your bonus. Okay, Frank Bryce, I chose Jim Broadbent, who you would know as Horace (gasps) Slughorn. Bring him back. Bertha Jorkins, I chose Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag. And Amos Diggory, I chose Julian Overton, who was in, I know him from Downton Abbey. Is he a little young to play Amos Diggory? No, I think he's older now. Okay. Yeah, based on your... Who'd you pick
0: for Cedric again? Harry, Harry Styles. Styles. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that working. Oh, I should have picked I should have picked an actor for Amos. Um, cool. Now we got those people. I actually, I completely agree on Frank Bryce and, and Bertha Jorkin's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. That's hilarious. Although anytime we'd probably see Bertha Jorkins, she would probably be getting tortured.
1: Uh, well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is so interesting because she's obviously so great as a comedian but she also is the like writer for killing eve which is has comedic elements but also a very serious show so i don't know i really like her very much enjoy yeah Yeah,
0: we need her in here somewhere i like that
1: okay so so the
0: last person we have to cast the last quote new character we meet in here is voldemort yeah so we are this is a big decision mckenna Mm -hmm. we are casting our voldemort who we are going to see as voldemort (laughs) through the seventh book oh. big decision who did, did you? you pick oh, okay. Do you want me to go first yes. okay this is going to be controversial i need this man in here somewhere i think he's a brilliant actor just really good can both good at comedy and drama being serious i just i don't know why i see this and why it's going to be c- controversial is because he's very attractive. And people are gonna be like, why would you want to see this man without a nose when his nose is so beautiful? But I was just, I was honestly thinking of somebody who could sort of follow in Ray Fine's footsteps. And I picked Tom Hiddleston.
1: I had Tom Hiddleston and I changed it the very last minute. Oh, and I'm glad my, you agree though. Yeah, I, I totally see it. And at the end I was like, is he just too hot? Like he's I, too hot. He's <laughs> so then hot. I also picked another hot guy. So I'm like, okay. Uh, I just, okay
0: yeah here's one of the reasons i picked tom hiddleston other than his incredible acting ability i think he's i put him brilliant as as far as like who i think is like the a brilliant one of the most brilliant actors sort of in this age group like in their 40s right now I put him on the same playing field as Benedict Cumberbatch. And you guys know I love Benedict Cumberbatch. They're also best friends, so it just feels right. He was the best man at Benedict Cumberbatch's wedding. (laughs) So cute. But I think he's an incredible actor. And I think that one of the other reasons I put him in this role is because, you know, he is very attractive. I think when you look at him under the CGI of, you know, missing the nose and looking very, I think he would give the impression of someone who used to be very attractive and very charismatic that a lot of people wanted to follow because tom riddle used to be hot and then you see him now and he looks like a snake because he split his soul so many times i think he would look at him and be able to see like the man that used to be under there and i just think he'd be incredible he's an incredible actor
1: yeah and he's burdened with he's so. burdened
0: with glorious purpose he i love him as loki he's done a ton of straight theater too i just think he's brilliant the other person i originally had in here specifically because the first place my brain went was who is an actor who is really known for doing well under like cgi and like playing a character that is completely like partially cgi'd or completely cgi the first person i had in here was andy circus but unfortunately oh. andy circus is a bit short um, yeah and i need somebody who's kind of larger than life and tom hiddleston's very tall but I think he'd also be good as a character. Anyway, so you had Tom Hiddleston, but who did you end up with? Oh, another person I had in there was Mark Strong, who's a very popular fandom pick for a new Voldemort. But who do you have?
1: So the person I pick, I originally discounted because I don't think of him as an English actor because he plays Americans so frequently and does Ooh. a very good job. Okay. But I have Christian Bale. Who you would know from the Dark Knight trilogy, American Psycho, Ford v. Ferrari, Vice, American Hustle. But he's an English actor. Very interesting. And he's so intense. He, I think, with, like, this CGI nose, I think, again, you would see underneath that, like, former hot guy. I just really like him. I just think he if anybody could like do what Ray Fiennes did with the, this is the way he like owned Voldemort and like really made it his own and like was so intense the in language, the character yeah. study. I think Christian Bale could do that.
0: I see it. I especially sort of, You know, the joke about Christian Bale is that he, like, loses and gains weight so quickly for roles that his doctors are like, you are going to die if you keep doing this to yourself. But his look in Ford v Ferrari, he was pretty, like, slim in that sort of bony in that role. As opposed to, like, how we remember him from The Dark Knight where he was very, like, beefcake. And just the way his sort of head looks when he was that slim would be, I could see that being Voldemort-like cool yeah
1: he's just great at like contorting his body to what's needed it's, for the role it's, it's scary <laughs> and i just see him like in the robes with like the creepy fingers like i don't know i just yeah it's a vibe that i like i
0: think actually now that you bring that up i think another reason i picked hiddleston was the body language like i think he could nail the sort of sweeping around arms out look at me sort of thing body language but like christian bale could too that's an, that is a choice that I would not have thought of.
1: Right. I totally did not think of him originally. I'm going to be, it was my husband who was like, have you thought about Christian Bale? Cause we were, we had like a 30 minute conversation about Tom Hiddleston and I was like, I had his picture in my spreadsheet and that was what I was set on. And then we were talking and I was like, who else? And maybe I said, is Christian Bale? I said, he's not British. And Mike was like, yeah, he's American. And I looked it up and I was like, no, he's British. Yeah. Yes. Now, Age-wise, remember at this point in our story,
0: Tom Riddle is like seventy, if not in his seventies. Like his he died 70s. at eighty, so he's about
1: seventy-five right now. Oh,
0: okay, okay. But at the same time, because of his like dark magic and creating the Horcruxes, I, I mean, Ray Fines did they didn't make him look like he was in his 70s like I no. almost think he would have
1: like been immortalized at, at like that sort of 40 I also think like Voldemort's vein no. so if you don't think that he's like keeping himself young then yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely wow that was fun that was fun good list so yeah. that is our casting for Goblet of Fire we will be putting a poll out on Instagram McKenna is also going to link in the show notes a little spreadsheet that she has expertly crafted with all these people so you can go back and reference it if you need. And we would love it if, you know, either while you guys are listening to this episode or after you guys finish listening to this episode, you would head over to our Instagram and check out our poll on these actors and weigh in so we can see who you guys pick. Yeah, I I Um, love it. It's always fun. I don't know. We'll post like who... We're n- originally when we post, we don't say like, this is Aaron's pick. This is McKenna's pick. So if you haven't listened to the episode, it's going to be a total surprise as to who picked who because that we reveal that after. But yeah, and then we'll show you who's in the lead. And right on. it's like our version of fantasy football.
1: It is. Yeah, that's we, we could have created a league. That's funny.
0: So that's our film
1: it. episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, we'll be... We'll have one more sort of like fun episode that we're still kind of working out the kinks for and then we'll have a break and then we'll jump right into Order of the Phoenix. We'll
0: see you guys then. Yeah, toodles.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at The Daily Profcast to DM us or leave us an email.